Welcome to Terrible, the podcast where two friends discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare themselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. I'm Renee, a longtime true crime enthusiast who has spent years listening to countless cases. Marie, on the other hand, has recently delved into true crime after being recommended a case on a YouTube channel. We both believe that once you watch or listen to your first true crime case, there's no going back. So let's do this. Okay, so this is the part of the episode where we update each other on our lives and include you guys. So this is a bit podcast related, but we've hit over 100 followers on Instagram. It's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. So thank you everyone for following us and we hope it continues to grow. So we're, at least I am, kind of new to the whole social media thing. Like we have personal social media accounts, but you know, we're not spending like excessive hours trying to get followers and it's not really like our... Mm-hmm. our thing so we're learning a lot through our social media for the pod and um now i think there's two reels on our instagram yeah. page which has been interesting to try and figure out <laughs> I feel but you're doing awkward. such a good job at it like i'm so bad with that kind of stuff like tiktok too it's been so hard for me to like learn how to create tiktoks so your reels they're great. Well, thank you. It's definitely getting better and more comfortable as we go. So uh, if you haven't checked out our social media, please go check it out and follow us. And on a personal note, um, honestly, haven't been up to much. The weather's a lot nicer, so that's been kind of uplifting. And um, like we've mentioned in previous episodes, I live in a different province. So I live in Alberta and I moved here because of my boyfriend's work. So that means that I got separated from a lot of friends and family. And recently we've been socializing a bit with more people. We went to a friend's house for dinner last night. We record on Sundays, so last night was Saturday. Uh, yeah, we had dinner, played board games, and it was really nice. So that's, that's nice. The longer, I've been up to. Yeah, and the longer you're there, the more you'll create your circle there. And that's so important. So I'm really happy that you're starting to have your activities on the weekend and make some friends there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly. so good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, over here, every week is the same, like I keep saying, but tomorrow is our huge big snowstorm that we're expecting. So like everyone's scared. Thank goodness I work from home. So I'm kind of excited, you know, I think it's like 30 centimeters we're supposed to expect or something. So yeah, so I will not be stepping out of the house. My second update is something I've been waiting for over a year for. Uh, We purchased a house in October of 2020. And we gutted the entire thing when we first got it. So we were renovating the whole thing. We took all the doors off because we knew we were getting new doors. And for the past year and a bit, we've had no doors on um, like my office door or the guest room door. So we finally got doors this weekend. And I'm so excited to have some privacy for the guests, some privacy while I'm working. So I'm so excited. It's so nice. I can mm-hmm. already tell it looks so good. Uh, and just I'm to so have excited. like that, like checked off your list too. Because exactly. you guys did so much work on that house like yeah. that orange shag carpet that Ugh. was there before <laughs> so gross yeah it's a house from the the 70s that was mm-hmm. never renovated never touched so it was yeah pretty like awful. time capsule yeah yeah it was pretty bad <laughs> yeah so kind of boring still pandemic middle of winter but we're, we're surviving we are. <laughs> let's get into this week's case the sources for this case are five articles from the vancouver sun 
One of these articles was by Paul Misgrove, a Victoria Times article, an article from The Province, an article from The Star Phoenix from Saskatoon, a CTV News article, and a short documentary entitled The Abbey Drover Story, made in 1997 by The National. It's September 5th of 1976 in Port Moody, British Columbia. Ruth Drover is a single mother of three girls. The family had recently moved to Port Moody in December of 1975. The past six months had been extremely difficult for Ruth. Her youngest daughter, Abby, who was 12 at the time, had been missing since March of that year. On this evening, Ruth had just crawled into bed when she hears a knock at her front door. She describes feeling frozen. These were the days before showing up unannounced at someone's house was socially appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> now we call her texts before showing up at anyone's house, and if we get a random knock at the door, there's a certain amount of anxiety that mm -hmm. comes with it. Like, who's knocking at my door? Why exactly. are you here? I'm not opening, or maybe I should so that someone doesn't break in. You never know, right? So Exactly. Yeah, I don't like that. And this feeling must have been kind of times 100 for Ruth, since she had been waiting to hear something, anything, about her daughter for the last six months. Ruth answers the door and sees police officers. I can imagine she's simultaneously thinking the best and worst case scenario. Either these officers were here to notify her of her daughter's death, or to tell her that they had found her daughter alive. Oh yeah, that's hard. You're trying not to get your hopes up, but at the same time, it's just like, oh, that, that she must be so torn, yeah. Yeah, just like a numbing blur of emotions, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Thankfully, the officers tell Ruth some good news. Abby had been found. Ruth rushes to the hospital to be reunited with her daughter. She describes hugging and crying. Abby was weak and very dirty. So I'm gonna stop here for a second. Mackie, I realized that I texted you earlier this week to tell you that I thought I had found a lighter case compared to last week's. Yeah, because I don't think we could have dealt with something like last week's was just overwhelming. Is so this that was one the lighter? Goal. <laughs> <laughs> so that yeah. was the goal. And just to remind everyone, Mackie has no idea what or who we're going to talk about every mm -hmm. week. And when I pick a case, I try to look into kind of like a theme, for lack of better words, like murder, abduction. Um, I don't know best friends turn into a, you know kind of a murder plot or something like that right and then I try to pick a province to try to narrow down my search and this week I, because I was looking for something lighter I looked for a survivor story so you know a true crime story where someone okay. comes out alive and we're yeah. not constantly talking about death or missing people yeah unfortunately the more I read into this case the more I realized that yes this young girl survived but what she lived through is truly oh. horrifying oh especially oh. what was she at 12 12 oh. yeah 12 years old at the time that she goes missing and then she turns 13 actually while while she's missing and and we're gonna we're gonna get into it so let me tell you a bit more about abby so she was born on may 3rd 1963 to parents ruth and cecil her parents were actually in the middle of a you know, divorce slash separation when she was born, and she was the youngest of three girls, or she is the youngest of three girls. After her birth, Cecil, her father, pretty much left the family, and he wouldn't see the family again for years. In 1975, Ruth and her three girls had just recently moved to Port Moody, like I mentioned, and the family began getting adjusted to their new town. Her two older sisters went to a different school than Abby because Abby was younger, and Abby had a 30-minute walk to school every day. So this was pretty normal back in mm -hmm. like back in those days right like yeah. often kids walk to school and 30 minutes I think is pretty average mm -hmm. it's reported that Abby was beginning to make friends at school and in her neighborhood as I mentioned at this time Abby is 12 and she is described as slim five feet three inches weighing 90 pounds with blue eyes and light brown hair 
Abby goes missing on Wednesday, March 10th of 1976. On this morning, she's starting her walk to school. But unfortunately, Abby was marked absent for the day, so she never actually makes it to school. Ruth was worried when Abby didn't come home that evening. She sent one of her older daughters to go out and check around the neighborhood for her sister. Around 6.30 p.m., Ruth calls 911 to report her daughter missing. At this point, police begin an extensive search. So they focused on kind of the known youth hangout spots around town. Although um, the drovers are, are, are new to town, that's kind of where, you know, it's a classic kind of maybe mm. they're just stayed out too late or maybe she made new friends or maybe she got into some trouble or, you know, they're, they're looking at the, the regular spots where you can find kids. Yeah, and what's unfortunate from what I gather from this too is if she never even made it to school, that's such a large gap between when she actually went missing versus when her mom found out that she didn't come home. Exactly. I don't know if the school like called mom to let her mm-hmm. know. And I don't know if that was like yeah. common practice or if, you know, like I remember it probably watching. is now, but yeah. I don't know if back then if it would be. I don't know. Yeah. Like even for us, I think like if we missed, I mean, I can only think back to probably high school. I can't really think back to elementary, but if we missed a day like it would come like around 3 p.m i think that phone call to be like oh your yeah, kid wasn't just, in school and, and pretty yeah. much just to get detention like it, oh yeah i don't i don't think they were calling your parents to see if you were well or anything like that it was like your kid didn't make it to school is she or he's going in detention yeah to so, spend your lunch hour in detention exactly yeah <laughs> not that that happened to us often <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so yes, they check uh, with all the kids in Abby's school to make sure that she hasn't decided to stay with them for the night, um, and they they come up short there. This is a quote from an article, and this is a, an officer talking. Uh, we are really concerned. She's a quiet girl who never even hitchhikes, and there are no problems with her family that we know of. Okay, to which I say never hitchhike, and I know that this was a more common practice, like back before like public transportation or Uber or were more common, but please never Ever. get into a car with a stranger. Do not or do let it. a stranger get into your car. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Both ways. Oh Both my ways. God. Do not do it because oh the it's stress. Just, yeah, it's just asking for something to go wrong. We're very cynical, but I no. <laughs> but <laughs> like I'm I'd love, sorry. I'd love to help a stranger in need, but my anxiety could never. No, us over everyone else (laughs) in those type of scenarios. Yeah. So on Saturday, March 13th, it's reported in between like 100 to 300 civilians are helping in the search. Even two helicopters were used. Okay. So people are looking for Abby. This is not a normal thing to happen in Port Moody. And the whole community is getting together to help and look for her. As we've talked about before on this show, uh, family and close friends are usually the people that are investigated first by police officers. So investigators want to talk to her father, Cecil. So Abby's father, Cecil, who had been pretty absent from her life. I think often too, if anything, child abductions are perpetrated more by parents than they are by strangers. Uh, So they tracked down Cecil and turns out he had been living in Calgary at the time, so he's quickly ruled out as a suspect. They then look into convicted sex offenders and pedophiles in the area, and it's reported that they believe she was a victim of foul play. So I think the reason that they're believing that foul play might be involved is is for the following, and Marie, I'll let you read this quote. She was a good student, didn't have any peer group or family problems, and took no money or extra clothing, so it just doesn't fit the description of a normal disappearance. 
And then in an article from Monday, March 15th, it's reported that the police have a suspect. So they had been seeking um, a 20-year-old man for questioning in regard to the disappearance. Apparently, there was just some sketchy stuff going on. The suspect on Saturday showed a Vancouver man a photo of a young girl, which he claimed to be his daughter, but looked very similar to Abby. So the police thought this was kind of suspicious for a 26-year-old man to claim he has a 12-year-old daughter. What does this really mean? Yeah. Um... So they track him down and they interrogate him or ask him some questions and he's quickly ruled out as a suspect. 12 year old daughter for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I I don't really know. There's obviously not a ton of information. Like, there's just like the basic stuff and like there must have been a bit more. Or maybe they're they're desperate. They're looking for this, this young 12 year old girl and they're thinking, well, this weird man is showing pictures of her around town claiming he's her daughter we should just bring him in for questioning which is fair and it is a good thing right like question everyone might as well it's reported that on april 6th a second large search is conducted there's also reward money being offered for any information about abby about eight thousand five hundred dollars at the time which is quite a lot of money now so yeah even more money at the time i use a website called newspapers.com where you can research you're looking for something in an article so i can research abby by name and it scans through kind of all of the newspaper archives they have and when she first goes missing there's a lot a lot of articles covering her and uh, asking for help and kind of telling a, a bit about the story and what she looks like her description but as time goes on we see her name mentioned less and less in july of that year it's reported that the rcmp form a squad after connecting several murders so there's a bit of conflicting information but it seems like there was about 12 to 23 women and girls who had been murdered and i don't know if that's in the last year i assume it's probably in the last couple years or so do you know if it was by the same person or the same um, suspect i think that they feel that some of these are connected i don't Mm. think they think all of them are connected yeah but they put a a squad together to coordinate investigation and serious crimes in the lower mainland so i think thoughts are some of these are connected but Mm -hmm. not all of them and if we get together and put a special kind of unit together to investigate these crimes then hopefully something can be done or solved, right? Because mm-hmm. it says at least 12 unsolved murders of at least 12 BC women. Like, yeah. that is a lot. That is a lot. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, even psychics got involved, and one pointed them in the direction of an area that was only about three blocks away from the Drover home. Oh, wow. Psychics yeah. used. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like smiling. Like... Uh, Maggie, I feel like you you're of the belief that some psychics. I just love like I love getting my cards read, and I love mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think there's no harm in it, you know. If you believe in it, great. If you don't, great. There's no like it, I mean, unless I guess you believe in it too much, where you will only do what a psychic tells you to do. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's harmless. So yeah, it definitely like in an everyday life scenario, if you just want to go, mm-hmm. I've never done anything like that. I think what can be dangerous in the true crime world is i want to say like psychics Mm. like with like bunny ears like around the sides like people that insert themselves into um investigations and give either false hope to families or false information or and i there are cases where psychics maybe aren't like you know bang on but they Mm. they get some pretty good information but then there are also those cases where it's completely misleading that's true. So it's very interesting that. to have thrown into a case, though. Yeah, and like like we've mentioned many times before, I'm a newbie to true crime. So this is my first case where I see that a psychic is involved. And so I'm really not used to that. So I'm like, wow, they use a psychic to, to try to help. Like, okay. <laughs> we'll have to cover a case one day where a psychic solves a murder. 
that or something cool. like that. Yeah. So remember I mentioned earlier that Abby had been making friends at school in her neighborhood? Well, one of these neighbors was a man named Donald Hay. So he's described as kind of a fix-it project guy. He was pretty friendly with the neighborhood kids. He even had kids of his own. So the Drover sisters enjoyed playing with Donald's kids, and they regularly spent time at the Hay House. So there were rumors around the neighborhood that he could be kind of a drunk and could be violent towards his family. But the Drover girls were still new to the neighborhood, right? So I don't know how much of this they were actually aware of. When Abby had gone missing, Donald Hay and his family were there to help with the search, so they were very involved. Donald Hay's name had actually came up when the police were looking into this convicted rapist or sex offenders. He had been convicted of attempted rape 18 years earlier and had been a suspect in a recent attempted rape. Yeah, Yikes. not a good guy. So many feelings about this man, so we'll, we'll just, I'm going to save it for later. Okay. <sighs> Deep breaths. Police yeah. questioned him and he seemed to really want to find Abby. And they looked around his garage and workshop but found nothing. Okay, now we're jumping all the way back to the beginning of the episode. It's September 5th, the day we started the episode where Ruth Drover is notified that her daughter had been found alive. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the events that led up to this discovery. So Donald Hay, this evening, calls a volunteer suicide hotline. Apparently he was having problems with his common-law wife, and uh, this was all due to his heavy drinking, as was mentioned before. I'm sure that that is a, a huge cause for problems in any relationship, especially if the drinking leads to, to one of the partners being violent. His wife had made him dinner that night, but he never came in from his garage to eat it, which is just rude. Yeah. Around 9.30 p.m., she goes out to check on him. You know, his dinner's probably cold. She's been waiting for hours. Mm -hmm. She's probably irritated, I'm sure, mm -hmm. but whatever. She goes to check on him to make sure he's okay. Her husband had attempted suicide in the past and she couldn't get into the garage, so she phoned the police. So I don't know if there was a lock on the garage door or something was like propped up against the garage, but she was worried about her husband, so. Yeah, I assume that was probably his like hideout spot. Like if they were kind of fighting or if he wanted to get away, he would just go to the garage. So that's what I'm getting from this is that he had a, an area that was just to himself. Yes, and I like this has been something that like I've heard in other true crime stories too. Like if you have a spouse who has an area of the home that he does not want you to enter, yeah, call the police. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just make them do some sort of check just to make sure or, there's yeah. Call a friend over. I, yeah. I don't know. Just that is not normal. Yeah. So that's you know cause for concern. Okay, so when the police arrive uh, to the house, they get into the garage, they break into the garage, and they can't find him. This must have been confusing for his wife, because she saw him go into the garage. It seems like there's only one entrance. Right. She never sees him come out. So where did he go? Mm -hmm. The police decide to leave, since it seems kind of pretty cut and dry, like he's not in there, right? Right, yeah, so what more can they do at this point? Yeah. So as they're leaving, they're you know, driving down the street, Donald's wife calls again, saying that she finds him, and it's unclear if she finds him, like, kind of in, like, a, a weird state, if he's unresponsive, if she thinks he's dead. It, it's not really clear, but she calls again and basically asks for them to urgently come back. So they turn the vehicle around and whip back towards the hay house. When police officers get there, they see Donald crawling out of one of the cupboards they had just searched. So they had a cupboard, he had a cupboard in his garage slash workshop. Mm -hmm. He's crawling out of it. I'm assuming like kind of like on his like hands and knees. Yeah. And his underwear is actually around his ankles. What? Yeah, so they're probably like, what the 
what the is going, going on yeah. here? And what is happening, right? Like this, first of all, mm-hmm. this family, I'm sure police had been called to this family's house before, before for other yeah. types of disturbances. They're, what is, you know, Don, yeah. get off the floor. What are you doing? <laughs> Pull your pants up. <laughs> Pull your pants out. What are you doing? <laughs> right. So he must have been acting kind of erratic or they must have just been confused. So they detain him just to kind of have that under control. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so there are two police officers. So one of them detains him, and then the other one goes to investigate that cupboard that Donald just crawled out right? of that doesn't yeah. look like a human can, can fit. fit in, especially not a grown man. Yeah. So he notices a dark hole basically behind the cupboard that had been covered by a piece of plywood previously. Uh. As he's looking into the hole, he notices a face appear. Oh! I know, I know. This story is so anxiety-inducing. Oh, immediately, oh. they know exactly whose face this is. This was Abby Drover, the 12, now 13-year-old girl that had gone missing 181 days before. That poor girl. I know. Oh, I want to puke. I know. Why do people like this exist? I, like- it's like un fathomable to like think that a human could do this to another human and i know it happens and like it's, yeah. it's a very real thing it's just is <sighs> so freaking awful but i i'm so glad that she she gets out of this but yeah and i'm glad like i don't know how the how his wife realized that the police needed to come back but i'm glad yeah, that like, she called them back and say yeah no this could have ended a very different way yeah Yeah. and then we can go into the whole like how do you keep a girl in your garage underground and your whole family doesn't know right again check if your spouse is hiding (laughs) something check that closet check that room it check the cupboard check everywhere you literally never know This next part is directly from um, that article from Vancouver Sun by Paul Musgrove. 13-year-old Port Moody schoolgirl Abby Drover is home safe today after spending 181 days locked in an 8-foot square dungeon under the workbench in a garage just a stone throws from her own home. Port Moody police are holding a 43-year-old man in connection with the kidnapping. The suspect has been under psychiatric care. Police believe the girl who had her 13th birthday on May 3rd while in prison in the cell, was never given hot food and often went days without eating. So this is obviously just really hard to hear and to and to read, and it was really hard to research. Um, Especially the part where it's like how she's so close to home, yeah. but yet went that long without the mom or anyone knowing where she was that's heartbreaking yeah you're just down there and all you have is is your own thoughts and thinking mm-hmm. worst case scenarios and she's 12 like she's a kid i i don't think i could well obviously i don't think i could do that like no. and we'll go through some of the things that she does do to kind of keep herself like on track of time and stuff and yeah. i i think like as a fully grown 25 year old i would have half the courage that she had i it's agree really she's incredible. a strong girl yeah so um she told one of the rescuing officers i know there's a lot of people who are going to be glad to see me later her mother ruth said it's been a pretty heavy trip she is pretty upset but she'll be all right at various times during the search for the missing girl police had visited the garage and talked to the owner even standing on the spot directly over the cell which she was imprisoned in during one of the search officers even opened the cabinet over the cell but the entrance was blocked off in camouflage like i said by some plywood 
The suspect's wife and three children uh, from a previous marriage were apparently unaware of the cell and its contents. It, which, again, is so... I, and the, I'm not blaming the family or anything. Like, they're, they're somewhat victims in this situation too, right? Because mm-hmm. having to grow up to know that, like, that happened in your home and I, I'm sure it's had a, a severe psychological impact on them and as un- well. Yeah, and unfortunately, they must feel somewhat connected to it and feel like they could have done something to stop it. And even the police officers that have done the check and have opened the cabinet and didn't see anything the first time I would be uh, so just like mind blown and and hurt and that I wasn't able to exactly like so much guilt over not being able to find her sooner especially that they had searched it's so hard right because someone drops off the face of the earth like where do you even start well exactly it's not yeah like so the entrance to abby's cell was believed to be originally intended as an atomic bomb shelter so if you follow us on social media when we post for this episode if you swipe through the pictures we'll definitely add a picture of the cell it's it's not something i necessarily recommend looking at if you're not extremely interested in knowing because mm-hmm. it it is. It's very intense and awful. So so the town of Port Moody welcomes Abby home with a big sign that says, Abby's back home, thank God, and the Port Moody police, which is just so sweet. Just like a smaller town. Vibes, yeah. you know, they're just so happy that this little girl made it home. So Donald was charged with kidnapping, rape, gross indecency, and unlawful taking away a female person against her will with intent to have illicit sexual relations with her. During her captivity, Abby lost 10 to 15 pounds. And she was already like so little. Like she's like she was 12, like 90 right? pounds exactly. before. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Well, it's just like he didn't even take care of her, which mm-hmm. like I know it's like sounds like a weird thing for me to say, but not only was he doing all these awful things to her, yeah. but he was barely even feeding her. Mm-hmm. Like he couldn't care less if she just died of starvation or not. Exactly. Which adds just another level to this. Definitely. Yeah. Despite her fear, Abby was convinced she would survive in a note uh, scrawled on a pink paper in the dungeon she had written god has helped me so far and he will help me to the finish god works in mysterious ways but what he does is right i know you think i'm stupid and like you say everybody is entitled to their own thoughts but i believe in god and i do believe in friends i just wish you would be my friend i also know i will get out of here so i'm not worried I know you don't believe in God, but I'll just say that God will be with you. She had written this to Donald, like as like a plea. Like she was like, it seems like she's like in a way like trying to appeal to him or befriend him in the way like. Yeah. She, she's trying to like this 12 year old girl, 12, 13 year old girl is like trying to like in a sense like emotionally manipulate him. Yeah. And like it's the, the bravery is incredible. Yeah. She also wrote a separate letter that stated to whoever this may concern, if I, Abby Drover, ever live through this, I will donate my life to Jesus Christ. He kidnapped me on the morning of March 10th, 1976. I also died, if so, after my 13th birthday. P.S. If you find me dead, my killer is Don Hay. She wraps this note in tape and hid it inside one of her boots because apparently Donald had threatened to dump her body in kind of like a, a large body of water. So she was hoping that the note would survive right she she's so incredible and so smart and just it's a mix of like a you can see the kind of a 12 year old girl's thoughts but also like so mature for like so mature is when he i was kidnapped mm-hmm. um and then the sweet little like ps my killer is like i remember writing notes when i was you know yeah. like in middle school like you did yeah. this whole thing and you have to add a ps because that's just yeah. what you it's just 
she's so so strong like like we were saying earlier at 25 I don't even think I could even think of writing a note like this and I know there's like a certain type of like survival instinct that kind of kicks in but Mm -hmm. it's just hard to like imagine it's very hard to imagine and she actually I think after a couple weeks started counting down the days so she had access to like a pen obviously and paper Mm -hmm. down there and she was writing down the amount of days that she had been held captive on her hand to keep track which is also just something like I feel like eventually like I said you would probably think about it but it's just losing track of days and times would be just such an awful thing and not knowing how long you've been missing or or what day or yeah. month or year it is like she was on it she's like I'm gonna count the days because mm-hmm. I need to know and the other thing that just makes me believe that she's just such a smart girl is that nowadays we have so much access to movies true crime stories where some weird way able to educate ourselves on what to do if these things were to happen to us but back then that's not readily available like it is now so a 12 year old girl being able to do this i'm speechless really yeah me too So Ruth Drover says to an article from the Vancouver Sun, With Abby gone, we couldn't really stay here. It was pretty hard, but we'll be staying now. Abby is unable to sleep well and eats very little. She says it hurts her stomach when she eats. I guess her stomach has shrunk. She said Abby is worried about her schooling. She feels she probably failed grade seven. She's worried about school and passing grade seven and probably staying with her classmates and being on yeah. track. It's and just like the innocence yeah. of that. Yeah, because there's so many other, you know, issues and, and things she'll have to deal with. It reinforces that kind of what we're saying, like the, those little things, like little spurts of maturity mm. we see like throughout her her efforts yeah. to, to survive. And then it just reminds us all together that... She was 13 right now. She's not thinking like, how am I going to get through this for the rest of my life? And how am I going to live with this now? She's thinking, can I get back to school so I can get to my next grade? Because I'm supposed to be in grade eight. I love her. I know. Me too. Entry to Abby's cell, which was believed to have been intended as a bomb shelter, was by a seven-foot vertical shaft hidden under the workbench. The shaft was covered by a plywood with paint cans pulled on top the area to look like a paint storage locker. Much of the dank concrete cell was taken by a six-foot bunk, which was covered with a dirty mattress in the far corner of the cell under a cupboard with a chemical toilet. I'm not sure what a chemical toilet is, but two light chains were fastened to the walls at the head of the bed, and another chain was fastened to the wall near the sink. Police said the chains were occasionally used to secure the girl to the wall. So Donald Hay pleaded guilty and was sentenced to life in prison with parole eligibility after seven years in 1977. Mm, This is garbagey. Like, seven years i know that yeah i know that it doesn't mean that he gets out it just means eligible for parole but are you kidding this is where the rage begins because Mm -hmm. okay i'm just gonna keep going and we'll talk about it at a parole hearing in 2006 hay claimed he thought he was helping the girl when he locked her in the bunker because he thought she was being abused he blamed his offenses on alcohol to which i want to go back a little bit there were chains hooked up to the wall so this was planned and it's like brutal this is not like i'm saving her from first of all your home is the abusive one it's just gonna reported that you're a drunk abusive husband and stepfather and he's abusing so, her by kidnapping her chain chaining her to the wall keeping her in a bunker how are you doing any better than your supposed the thoughts way, about her family the way he deflects 
blame off of himself and the BS that he like tries to feed the media who we'll get into it but I can't believe give him a voice to start with yeah um is atrocious and if I don't even say if I did something like this because I would never do something like this but you make a mistake at work or whatever it is you make a mistake you hurt your friend's feelings whatever you own up to it and you say I didn't mean to do that or that Mm -hmm. wasn't my intention but I apologize or that's my fault I'm gonna own that I did that the fact that he can't even for the life of him just own that he's just a garbage human who just did this for his own pleasure is top five one of the worst things about the story and especially something that horrific you can't blame on anyone anything just yourself for doing it it's just so awful it's just you Mm-hmm. No one made you do it. No, mm-hmm. nothing. Like, it's just you. Yeah. And, like, it's really you because normal people don't have those kind of impulses. So, like, there is something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. So, he's up for parole in 2001. And Abby said that he obviously should remain locked up. So, every time that he's up for parole, she's, you know, either testifying or writing a letter, which is re-traumatizing for her every Yeah, time. poor girl. It's yeah. so unnecessary. So she writes, please don't let him out as she pleads in 2001. I was always terrified to think of him being released. And now after hearing him speak, deny, and still minimize his crimes, it horrifies me to think that that day will ever come, that he will walk free. In June of 2012, at the age of 79 years old... <sighs> Poor excuse for a human, Donald Hay, dies of natural causes following a lengthy illness at the institution's hospital. So he never got out. Well, never, sorry. <laughs> Wait a minute. No. So I did all the research and I wrote this timeline. And now we're going to talk about a short documentary film, if you want to call it, that was created by, by The National in 1997. This is covered 20 years after the, the kidnapping and you know, horrible rape and assault that happened to Abby for 181 days. In this documentary, the extra stuff I found out, it was for sure worth watching and listening to, but I have problems with it and we're going to talk about it now. So this documentary starts by saying that it took nine years to convince Abby to do this interview. Leave this poor woman alone. Why were you spending nine years trying to convince her to do an interview? She wanted a platform. She knows that any media source would be more than glad to tell her story. I just thought that was such a garbage way to start it. Like, yeah. it took us nine years to convince her, and here she is. Like, if you're, ugh. yeah, like you're saying, if you're that garbage that you're going to have to try to convince her for nine years, don't freaking mention it. Yeah. Like, you're like just how are you yourself starting? look disgusting. Right, I was like, who does this? You can this? ask like, once. Her. If she says no, leave her alone. Like open-ended invitation if you exactly. want. Like if you ever Say, feel contact like talking me. about it. Exactly. Yeah. Disgusting. <laughs> okay, this is just the beginning. So not only do they harass Abby, it seems like, for nine years to do this interview, but they don't only speak to Abby. They actually speak to Donald Hay. So they give this man a platform to speak about his own crimes in the same document. Yes, in the same documentary. So it's one thing if you're letting, if Abby is doing this as a choice and she's deciding to use a platform to talk about what happened to her to, you know, like educate others Mm -hmm. or empower herself Mm -hmm. or release, you know, some demons or I I don't know. It's basically like they come back face to face again. Like they never see each other, but like there's the way it's, it's so grimy. Like, and the way that could be edited too, if she did interview and then he interviewed, like, no, I don't like these people that no, no, they suck. 
Okay. However, I did want to use part of this. The, mm-hmm. It'll make for sense because she. D- yeah. Well, she. T- it's one of the first times that she's able to talk for herself, from what I can see. So I did want to use parts of what she was saying. I want her to be able to share her own story and her own views about what happened. I just and, feel bad that she may not even have wanted to. Yeah. And she no, was just like, too. let's get this over with. That really hurts. Yeah, I like hemmed and hawed a lot, but I do think it's yeah when we talk about it you'll mm-hmm. see i think why i think yeah. it's extremely relevant i just hope that she was like fully consenting when she that's was the thing this. yeah i just feel bad okay so abby shares during this interview that at first donald seemed friendly she explained how donald had abducted her that day in this video we actually get footage of the hole that abby was trapped in and i swear i had to pause the video to catch my breath and just stop for a second because it is so terrifying and I know I don't really necessarily recommend anyone watch this video just take my word for it I watched it so you don't have to and I'm here to tell you kind of what I thought was important or relevant about it it's just I won't be watching it yeah it's just very conflicting the whole way through at least I felt and and maybe I'm coming at it from a different lens but anyway you, you guys get me so while she was a captive like I said she kept track of the days by making them on her hands she had a small radio with her which she listened to talk radio where she actually heard reportings about herself oh my god yeah. she shared that he would visit and send visit that's like a nice word for what he did he would visit and sexually physically and mentally abuse her he even went on vacation with his family once while she was down there like he was continuing to live his normal life yeah she remembered the last six weeks of her you know captivity he came once to bring her kfc six In weeks six weeks so I, I'm assuming she must have had some some snacks or like something she was rationing or I don't know because I don't know how you go six weeks. I hope food. so. Yeah. And how much do you like hate KFC after that? I feel like you could never eat oh it again. God, like no. no but, well, but that's the thing, right? But now whenever she would drive, it's you know, down a road and see K- a KFC sign, there's a like I'm sure that's like PTSD trigger. right there. Yeah. Yeah. She shared that she even considered ending her own life with pills and alcohol left behind by Donald, which I think is totally fair. Like, mm-hmm. I would definitely have considered that probably way yeah. before she did. She described the night that she was found. Donald Hay had gone into the hole and threatened her to be quiet. So this is the moment where police, like, go into the garage and aren't able to see him or find mm-hmm. him. So he's down there threatening her to be quiet. She says that she didn't know who was in the garage or looking, but he seemed nervous. So she felt that her world was over when she heard whoever was there, which was the police leave. Yeah. And thank God they came back. At the time of the documentary, <laughs> I wrote Garbage Donald <laughs> is up for parole and asking for freedom. So um, at the time that they filmed it, so he was obviously up for parole several different times. Um, but at the time they're filming this, he's actually up for parole. So like part of like his being there is mm-hmm. like trying to tell the public uh, right. like how much he's changed or whatever. He says he thinks he could ease her suffering if he could just meet her face to face and he would like forgiveness. So this is about you, right? This is about you. Because I'm sure that she wants to see you again and that you could ease her suffering by her giving you forgiveness. But they put this this news, this news company, organization, whatever, they put this in a documentary and think it's okay to have this man say that. 
He tries to claim that he wasn't in control of himself and blames the alcohol. I'm sorry. I, I know that alcoholism is a serious problem, but there, this I just is beyond. don't see. This is beyond. Yeah, I just don't see the sole influence of alcohol being the reason that you kidnap a girl, tie her in your dungeon basement for six months, and repeatedly, violently rape her. And you know what? Probably if the police did not find her, this She'd be dead. could have lasted years let alone he could have killed her yeah you're totally right she could have just stayed down there he could have killed her right and maybe he could have killed her and never would have known so he also (laughs) this is like almost comedic like i hate this man like with every ounce of me he also tries to claim that his plan was that he was going to get her an apartment and then they would be friends for life (laughs) yeah i am sorry i cannot take that seriously no no, you literally, I can't, I write like a timeline for our episodes. I can't even read out the next line <laughs> the timeline <laughs> because Maggie would have to bleep every single word out. Like that's the a worst. joke. That's like, the worst. What? And then he says like once he realizes that he can't do that because he's kidnapped her, which, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just read the, <laughs> my line. line. Yeah. Once he realizes that he can't do what his plan because he's kidnapped her and she's scared he's like i'm just gonna keep her in the hole i guess derp derp like great apartment down there like no and this man is on like a news channel documentary whatever the national saying this to us the way he tries to draw sympathy is ridiculous he tries to sympathize with abby saying how horrible it must have been for her yo i'm really happy he's dead right now because that's the (laughs) only thing keeping me from like and that he well i was gonna say never got out but we're about to get into it okay i wrote this next part oh my god he had apparently over 150 passes away from prison where he spent time with friends and family outside i did not even know this existed i did not know this existed i did not know you could do this if you have life in prison your ass should should not be getting out of jail in this documentary he has friends speaking on his behalf saying how much she's changed and how that was in the past and how they're hoping that he gets out and that we forgive him and let him out i cannot fathom another human being defending this monster i'm so nauseous and this was a like national story like all of canada was following the story there's pictures of him out of prison with his friends and his friends children pictures of the children sitting on his lap shut one of his friends even saying that he's such a you know great guy blah 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 he was present at my daughter's baptism it's one thing to let this man out of prison. It's another thing to let him have access to children. Children. Something went wrong in the justice system there because absolutely not. You do not get a second chance because Abby doesn't get a second chance. She has to live with what you did to her. He says he's very sorry. And he says that she was a good kid. She never gave him any trouble while in the hole. And he calls her beautiful. <laughs> I know. I know. This is why I texted you earlier and I was like, I'm freaking raging and I we need to record ASAP because I'm so mad. Yo, I cannot <laughs> with this man. That bullshit coming right out of his mouth, I cannot. It's like... And they aired this. They this aired it. freaking they, documentary aired this. And they tried to like Garbage. make it seem like we're giving like her a voice or whatever. In it. But like, he doesn't deserve. He, like, there's no like, mm, did he do this? Did he not do this? He did this. Literally. <sighs> 
so, I mean, I had said this or thought this earlier, but Abby says she's still in the prison of his creation. She doesn't understand how mm. he could ever expect her to forgive him. She shares that she wants to be his last victim. So she had shared this, obviously, at the time where he was still alive and hoping that he would never mm. be paroled. Abby is now a mother of five children, and she has spoken publicly about her ordeal as a way of supporting other child abduction victims. Okay, I'm adding a little segment before we jump into the donations. Where I just ask you how you're feeling now. Ending it like that, the fact that she's a mom to five kids, I'm sure was incredibly hard for her to have trust in them doing activities and them doing things where mm. she's not present or whatever it is. I'm sure that period of her life was also hard, even though her kids have not gone through what she went through, but just having kids and just having yeah. that anxiety over what you have gone through and the trauma that you have gone through and i'm so yeah. i'm so mad that he <laughs> got out 150 passes from prison that's yeah there's a mistake especially the fact that he had access to kids that was a huge mistake um there's there's no way around that that was it literally despicable i can't believe that i that just don't understand how how that was possible oh, yeah 150 i don't think that i don't make like a blanket statement saying that canada is like too lenient that's not what yeah. i want to say but in this case, like, mm, Canada, yeah. fix your life. Like, this yeah. is not okay. Let's hope that whatever back then was the laws that allowed him to get those passes. I would just hope that they have changed now and something, someone like this would not be out. I'm going to have to do some research and talk about it in the updates next week because I we need to, to kind of know what the rules are around if, that. If it's still like this, I'm going to be scared at the grocery store and stuff. <laughs> oh, God. You know what I mean, though? Like, you don't yes, know. No. Obviously, every time you leave the house, there's strangers everywhere. You never know. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're so right. You know, she's a mom now, and she went through all this horrible mm. trauma, but I think that she still has lived and is living in an okay life, and you know she's such a badass and yeah we're so happy that this is a survival story at the same time and the fact that and she was able to have five kids even with all of this trauma I'm yeah. so happy for her yeah I tried to look for like speaking engagements or anything that she's mm -hmm. done I didn't find much but also leave Abby alone <laughs> she'll talk if she wants to talk Hashtag leave Abby, <laughs> leave Abby alone. alone but like we said she did say that you know she she does speak publicly you know when she feels like it or feels that she can to support mm -hmm. other child abduction victims which yeah. is so powerful because I think that's such a probably in such a niche amount of people that have been abducted and then found again yeah. and have lived through similar trauma that she has um so I'm sure that the work that she did do with that has really helped a lot of people this week, we will be donating to the Canadian Centre for Child Protection. This is from their website. The Canadian Centre for Child Protection is a national charity dedicated to the personal safety of all children. Our goal is to reduce the sexual abuse and exploitation of children, assist in the location of missing children, and prevent child victimization through a number of programs, services, and resources for Canadian families, educators, child-serving organizations, law enforcement, and other parties. If you would like to contribute to the Canadian Center for Child Protection, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram slash TikTok bio. Pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram, so please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terribletruecrime at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. And see you next time.